Alan Jones, direct to the people, right across Australia. And a very grateful welcome. Last night was unbelievable. Much is being said today about our first broadcast. Most of it omits the fact that these things happen on a first night, especially when there's a huge volume of people trying to access the broadcast on the website, alanjones.com.au. But here's the guts of it. The response from you, my viewers, was phenomenal. I wonder which other websites in Australia have 350,000 people clicking on the one website in a window of 10 minutes. I venture to say not many. Yesterday, we had 700,000 unique visits to the website, alanjones.com.au. At 8pm, we had 350,000 people click onto the website wanting to watch the first show. That is massive, and the website caved in. So the program was delayed by 30 minutes and then aired at 8.30pm. We had 120,000 viewers for last night's program, extraordinary figures, the public have had their say and they're hungry for us to talk about the things that they care about. Leadership in this country, both political and in business, has never been so gutless. Our democracy is at breaking point from the sheer betrayal we see daily from the political class, the Liberal Party, that supposedly represents freedom and choice, yet forces QR codes, restrictions and mandates on the public. A Labor Party, which apparently represents the worker, yet denies that same worker cheap and reliable energy due to its fixation on phasing out coal and advocating for net zero. The Prime Minister said in 2019 that electric vehicles would mean the end of the weekend, where Australians can travel and go places, yet he adopts Labor's electric vehicle policy, word for word. Then both sides bow to the vested interests in the renewable energy sector and adopt wholeheartedly, without any debate, net zero, playing into the hands of hedge fund managers. I'm sorry, but this is a broken country. And the media is complicit in allowing the political class to get away with this constant betrayal. But, of course, they don't do any homework. So keep watching and make sure you like and share this video. And make sure you comment and offer your thoughts below. You can message me your say by going to alanjones.com.au. The button is there to message me. I take your comments very seriously. This is a pioneering initiative. The viewer support last night was astonishing. But I thought I'd make a couple of points. One of the themes of my program last night was the extent to which it seems many are prepared to go to prevent strong voices being heard. Now, once we conceived this online project, ho -ho, we ran slap bang into that very determination to silence rather than support. In spite of all the protestations by government of the support for little start-up companies, this private sector outfit ran into hurdles everywhere. Trying to find a business that's not a corporate coward is really tough. People who worked with me putting this program together were actually stalked, hunted down for their online contacts. Who are these people? Australian Digital Holdings was the question being asked. Treat them immediately with great suspicion because they support such a project. One young man had his personal home address published by an editor. Others had personal photos published in newspapers. And what was a fairly major media story last Friday, namely that for the first time in Australia ever, here was a private company setting up an online broadcasting instrument with the potential to reach millions of viewers here and internationally, but for some media outlets it wasn't a story. Don't publish. Don't tell the public about it. 
Why? You know why. You know which outfits would have said nothing. They feel threatened. And their public were not told of this opportunity to get a different point of view. Well, I say to all those people, the public will have the final say, and they had the final say last night. They tuned into the website in hundreds of thousands, such that it crashed. We've improved the capacity, and this voice will be heard. Don't ever suggest, though, that there aren't many manifestations of the cancel culture. We've seen many aspects of it in recent weeks, putting this program together. But we won't be going away. We are here. We are here to stay. AlanJones.com.au. OK, let's get down to business now. I spoke last night on the issue of the kind of Australia we want our country to be. I raised the question about people frightened, frightened to say what they think. Or if you do speak, there are certain things you are allowed to say and not allowed to say. It's called the cancel culture. Kids are taught that decisions taken in our country are based on race and gender and ethnicity, that we're a racist country, that we shouldn't celebrate Australia Day, but rather it should be Invasion Day. Young people have it drummed into them that we're destroying the country that they will inherit from us, global warming, when in fact this is a beautiful country of remarkable opportunity. There's no reason why anyone can't be better off, healthier, have more leisure time and enjoy benefits not available in other parts of the world. But these virtues are not proclaimed. As I said last night, we've gone through a period where hope gave way to despair. Then I read a piece by that very fine Australian, Greg Sheridan, which proved my point, in which he argued that, and I quote, if the West doesn't believe in itself, it will struggle, may not even survive culturally, politically, socially or militarily. Greg Sheridan argued that when a person, an institution or a culture, loses belief in itself, it decays, declines or dies. Now, our job together is to see this doesn't happen, but we have to understand the odds are stacked heavily against us. Greg Sharon makes the point that the European Commission, listen to this, you better be sitting down, recently produced a document called Union of Equality, a Guide to Inclusive Language. Its first ruling was that no official document should include a reference to Christmas. Not approved. So instead of saying the Christmas period can be very busy, you've got to say the holidays can be very busy. As Greg Sheridan wrote, there were a lot of other obnoxious, idiotic instructions. No one was ever again to begin remarks at an EU function with the words, ladies and gentlemen. Now, this is the stuff we've got to fight against. Then, of course, there was the usual anti-Christian element to the document, which prompted even Pope Francis, as Greg rightly argued, politically the most woke Pope in the last 100 years, to accuse even the European Union of sidelining Christianity, the foundation of Western civilization. But you've only got to walk through the streets of our capital cities, Brisbane, Sydney, Adelaide, Perth, Hobart, to see the progressive erosion of Christian traditions. Do the Christmas decorations affirm the celebrations that should be part of this season? Do we hear Christmas carols ringing out? Do we see Christmas cards which now say, Happy Holidays, not Happy Christmas? Christianity is a universal religion, the foundation of Western civilization. Are we embarrassed to proclaim that? Do we teach that Christianity is the foundation of Western civilization? Now, admittedly, this absurd European Commission document was later withdrawn, binned, but it demonstrates not just in Europe, but in many parts of the Western world, there's a concerted attempt to deny our Christian heritage. Make no mistake, this denial is at work everywhere, especially in schools, in our institutions, in our universities, and in the military. And what the European Commission demonstrated in this farcical document was what Greg Sheridan rightly called 
elite institutions hostile or indifferent to their own culture or history, unquote. Now, the fight back's got to begin in the classroom, where children are not taught the great virtues and triumphs of our past, which have given us what we enjoy today, but which everywhere seem to be threatened. Why do we deny our children access to the great works of literature, yet call it education? Why do our so-called educated school leavers know little about why Melbourne's called Melbourne or Sydney's called Sydney? Have they heard of Burke and Wills? Can they recite a verse of poetry? Have they read a magnificent novel like Great Expectations, relevant today more than ever because of the clash between the pursuit of love and money? Now, if we deny our past, whether it be political, historical, artistic or literary, as my old man would say, we are buggered. Now, make no mistake, we've got a fight on our hands. Now, of course, it requires leadership to affirm our values, to access pride in our culture and to respect our past. The sobering thought is, I doubt we have politicians who are equal to such a challenge. But because of that, we must in our own small world each day speak up. And that's what you can do on my website, alanjones.com.au. I'm happy to share those views with people watching this program around the world. Make it the salt and pepper of your life, alanjones.com.au. Well, let's go to America and our American correspondent, Peggy Grandy. You'll be hearing a lot from this lady. She was the lady who was the executive assistant to Ronald Reagan for 10 years. She is a keynote speaker in America to corporate executives and political organisations, but her understanding of the American political scene is second to none. She's the author also of a wonderful book called The President Will See You Now. My stories and lessons from Ronald Reagan's final years. Well, sadly, there are no Reagans in the American government now. But let's go to Peggy. Peggy, thank you for your time. Lovely to have you again. Look, this summit for democracy last week, I mean, this is extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, he had a virtual summit for democracy, having recently told Biden, recently told Southeast Asian allies that the US-ASEAN relationship was vital to a free and open Indo-Pacific He's called a summit for democracy that excluded two-thirds of the ASEAN members. Singapore and Thailand have been security partners and regional allies of America. They were excluded. Peggy, what's the free world to make of this random and erratic leadership which splits Asia, especially when some of the excluded countries, like Bangladesh and Sri Lanka, are being wooed by Beijing? Peggy. Well, Alan, thank you as always for having me on and congratulations on your new platform. I'm happy and proud to be part of it. And, you know, what we see out of Biden is actually no surprise. He ran on a platform of being a uniter, but he continues to be a divider. And that happens domestically as well as globally. And I don't care what the summit was and who was included or excluded. It was all words. It's no talk. We see the same thing coming out of the Biden White House all the time. These empty promises, no action taken. Nobody believes what he says will happen anyway. And so it's really just a bunch of words jumbled at best from him and the world doesn't take him serious. All right well that being said and I agree with you entirely and so do people watching the program but following the defeat of Virginia's governor election the Democratic Party admitted that it is a quote weak national brand that it is quote not doing anything to address the big issues. Would a summit for democracy actually contemplate discussing Myanmar 
it should, but this Biden White House only wants to talk about the things it wants to talk about. And I would actually argue that we saw coming out of Virginia, it was a wake up call for the Democrats, but I would disagree. I think they have a very strong, very clear brand. They are the party that is weak on crime. They support reckless spending. They support recklessness and lawlessness in all of our big cities. And so they're they're in, fa they're in favor of open borders. So I think we know exactly who they are. They have a strong brand. It's just not one that the American people are embracing. Well, Peggy, this question, and I've asked you this before. Does Biden know what he said last week? I mean, this is not new. Just have a look at Biden here announcing his endorsement of Barack Obama for president. A man who will be the next president of the United States, Barack America. Now, that's extraordinary. He says a man who will be the next president of the United States, Barack America. Peggy, this is serious stuff. The man doesn't know what he's saying. Listen to this as well, this utterly disjointed language. Just listen to this. We have to eliminate the funding gap that exists between minority white and majority white and, and non-white districts. Here's the president of the United States. You hear that? He said, the funding that gap that exists between minority white, majority white and non-white districts. Peggy, have you got any idea what he's talking about? No, and he doesn't either because these are not his original thoughts. He's reading words from a teleprompter and he can't even do that proficiently. And so America and the world should be very concerned that this is the leadership that we have. But we look at the vice president and I think that's the best insurance policy that Barack, um, excuse me, that Joe Biden could have. She's less liked and trusted than he is currently. Yes, absolutely. I'll come to that in a minute. But just this one final thing on Biden. What must sensible people think when they hear the president of the United States say this? Listen to this. Not do it. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Do you hear that? Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Peggy, I'm sorry, translate for me. What does that mean? No one can translate that. This is a man who is not in control of his words, his faculties. He is not providing any sort of inspiring vision or leadership for America. The American people and the world are and should be incredibly frightened by well, the lack of focus, leadership okay. and confidence. I agree. I agree. Now, that brings us to this business about the polls, which show a majority of Americans don't believe Biden is mentally fit to serve as president. One Rasmussen survey found a staggering 58% of Americans feel this way. Is the corporate-controlled media trying to deny the fact that Biden's mental faculties are declining? Absolutely. They're trying to cover for him. And I have to ask the question, who are the 42% that actually think he yes. is in control of his mental faculty? <laughs> yes. Well, let me put this to you. I said this yesterday. The 25th Amendment of, the, your, of your Constitution provides for a replacement if a vacancy occurs in the vice presidency. Now, given that Kamala Harris is now at 28% and her own party are leaking to the corporate media world about the total dysfunctionality of her office, could she be appointed somewhere and replaced? Now, as I asked yesterday, could the replacement then replace the declining Biden? And could that replacement be Hillary Clinton? Well, the Democrats these days seem to make and play by their own rules. So they certainly could probably pull off anything they wanted to. 
Who knew that we would ever long for the days of Hillary Clinton? She was at one time the most <laughs> unlikable woman in politics, and she's been she's been superseded by Vice President Harris, who is the only person on the planet who I think is less likable than Hillary Clinton. So of course they could pull a little stunt and do that. I, you know, the odds-on favorite here are that it's going to be somebody like the Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg. But we look at his failure of leadership to lead not only the Department of Transportation but to step up up during the supply chain crisis, which was very much in his purview to Absolutely. do something about and really has failed miserably. So I think the Democrats are in a really tough spot. Definitely. They've got a president and a vice president that are not only unpopular, but are totally incompetent and really at odds with each other, yeah. at odds with their staff. We see Kamala Harris's staff leaving for the doors and the things that they say about her are not kind. But the tragedy is it's not the Democrats that are just in trouble. The free world is in trouble. That's why I'm talking about these things. I want to raise this question of nuclear power with you because we've just had this Glasgow conference about energy. America America is the world's largest producer of nuclear power, accounting for more than 30% of worldwide nuclear generation of electricity, 19% of your total electrical output. Now, I know you've been working with some key Australian people discussing nuclear power here. Have you made any progress? Well, I think that the polling that we're seeing coming out of Australia is exciting because it is turning toward nuclear power and the Prime Minister's recent decision to sign the AUKUS pact opens the door perfectly for a nuclear, a civilian nuclear power program there in Australia. And in fact, now that you do have the beginnings of a nuclear submarine program, you would become the only country without a civil nuclear program if you proceed forward and with just the submarines and don't proceed with a civilian program at all. So yeah. you would not only be an outlier geopolitically, but really would be on the opposite side of the science now mm. that's catching up to Places, uh, places like COP26 who are deciding that not only this is something that a group of French scientists have been talking about, but this is the only climate solution that's possible. Yes. Nuclear power is the only way to provide abundant, baseload, clean power and decarbonize the planet. And mm. so Australia really has an opportunity to take the leadership role on this, and we hope that they choose to do so and not lag behind. The trouble is, of course, not only can't you mention nuclear power here, it is banned when we've got the world's largest supply of uranium. On that energy thing, I just want to go to you about oil. Now, we're talking energy. Has Biden received the appropriate condemnation for releasing oil from America's strategic oil reserve. Now, how pointless is this? 50 million barrels, it'd only keep Bowser's in America going for two days or 15 hours. Isn't the strategic reserve supposed to be reserved, a last resort use? And isn't this the same oil, though, that mustn't emit carbon dioxide because we've just come out of a Glasgow conference committed Biden to eliminating its use entirely? Or doesn't Joe Biden remember what he supported in Glasgow? Oh, you know, hypocrisy doesn't apply to the Democrats, Alan. You know that. Well, we look at, again, the media covering up for Joe Biden. And so what happened? He released this oil from the Strategic Reserve, which was never meant to compensate for bad policy, like canceling the Keystone Great Pipeline point. or putting a ban on additional um, oil production. It was meant specifically for international crises or some sort of national, um, you know, emergency. Yeah. Emergency. Absolutely. But the media covered for him. And so what did they do? He releases these number of barrels and the price of gas comes down by two cents. And no kidding. What do all the mainstream media do? They run out with their little graphs and charts and say how exciting it is that the 
price of gas has gone down two cents a gallon. When over the past 10 months since Biden took office, it's gone up by over two dollars a gallon. And so it's ridiculous the covering they're doing. It again Mm. is strategically, it was not a smart decision. It wasn't meant for that purpose. And all he was trying to do was get a little two cent deduction in the gas prices around the Thanksgiving holiday. Someone's writing the stuff for him. He wouldn't have a clue. I just should say to our viewers, the reason Peggy's making this point is that Obama banned oil and gas exploration on federal land and then got shocked when supplies shrank and oil and petrol prices rocketed. Donald Trump comes in, removes the bans, America becomes self-sufficient in oil and gas, prices at the pump plummeted. But the petrol price now has rocketed to many multiples of what it was when Trump left office and now having reinstated the Obama bans on his first day in office, Biden now sees petrol prices rocketing. Is he trying to pretend, Peggy, that he's doing something about it? But he leaves the bans in place. Well, he only makes everything worse the more he tries. And to your point, America under Donald Trump went from a place of energy independence and being a net exporter of oil to under Biden to being energy dependent. And the places we're buying oil from, a lot of them are not our allies. And so he's not only put us in a place of energy poverty, Mm. he's put us into a place where we are dependent on our enemies. And it actually gets worse than that, Alan. You know what Joe Biden did? He turned around and he said he wanted to launch investigation into the gas companies because he thought that they were engaging in price gouging. And so he's creating these problems. He's blaming others for them and waving Mm. his hands in the air as if he has Mm. no idea what the causes are. Mm. Um, We all know what the causes are. Absolutely. Winter Olympics, can I raise this with you? America has imposed a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Winter Olympics. So have we. And New Zealand says it won't send diplomatic officials. And we said that last week. Aren't people like Mike Pompeo and the former US ambassador to the UN, Nikki Haley, aren't they correct when they say the Chinese Communist Party doesn't give a rip about a diplomatic boycott? Because at the end of the day, end of the day, they're still hosting the world's athletes. It's still a showcase. I mean, the last boycott was 1980 when Jimmy Carter withdrew the team to protest about the Soviet Union invading Afghanistan. I mean, what is the scene there? What do they think they're achieving? Yeah, I absolutely agree with Mike Pompeo and think that he is right that a diplomatic boycott really doesn't do much. And I would argue, too, that after 1980, 2022 is a very different landscape. And China now not only has the opportunity to probably collect a lot of data on these athletes, but there's claims that they're even collecting DNA on this. And on the heels of a Chinese tennis player basically going missing after launching yes. sexual accusations against a top um, official there, you know, the, the American Olympic team should be really concerned. These are real threats. And so, I think a diplomatic boycott is a great place to start, but I think that we should leave all options on the table. I have a good friend who is an Olympic athlete. It's heartbreaking for these athletes to go through so much work Mm. and effort and spend their lives for this and not get a chance to compete. But I think the dangers are real and we need to protect our athletes. We need to protect our nation and our sovereignty. Good on you. You are a star, Peggy Grandy. Thank you for that.
Our viewers love you. We'll talk to you next week. Go and get yourself a sleep. Thank you for staying up in the middle Thank of the night. Alex. Middle of the night to talk to us. There she is. Isn't she, isn't she wonderful? Thanks. Peggy Grandy. You can see all that, by the way, on the... Just go to the website, alanjones.com.au. It'll all be there whenever you want to see it, at any time you want to see it, and make some comments. What do you think of what Peggy had to say? We'll be back after the break. Well, now, time to hear from you, because over 9,000 comments there were from last night's first program and hundreds of text messages from all over the world. Thank you to our viewers, by the way, in France and London who are in touch with me. Goodness me, it's overwhelming. Look, keep liking, keep commenting, keep sharing the program. It's the only way to get the message out there to tin-eared politicians. Well, Mary writes on my Facebook page, Morrison's not a Prime Minister of a united country. We are no longer one. We are individuals living in our own various states. Shell writes, what Matt Canavan is saying is common sense. We need Australia made. Why aren't other politicians getting onto this? Sharon writes, so glad you're talking about America because if they fall, we all fall. Another viewer writes on my YouTube channel, Alan Jones Australia, our governments need to start respecting our human rights and our freedoms. Stop all the mandates and border closures. What has happened to our democracy is disgraceful. One viewer on my YouTube page said, Alan Jones Australia, commented, this has been the most informative program that I have watched in many years. The art of conversation is not dead. Another wrote, so glad Alan's back. One of the few voices in Australian media still talking something resembling common sense. Stephen wrote, they're very flattering, on my YouTube page, thank God we have Alan talking about the big issues that really matter to Australians, Urea and Hunter Biden. And another viewer says, hi Alan, thanks to all who helped to put this together, a great venture. Thanks truly for your tireless public service, the formidable towering intellect with common sense. They're very flattering, there you are. That is your say. But just go to the website, alanjones.com.au and have your say. Remember, my viewers are my best researchers. Well, let's just go from there to something very serious. Look, I've been talking about the world we inhabit and the crisis in Western political leadership. I've mentioned before that outstanding publication, Australia Tomorrow, which for everyone interested in politics would be a good Christmas present. There are 38 chapters. They're essays, a forward by John Howard. My essay is entitled just that, A Crisis in Western Political Leadership. Well, consider this. In August last year in America, Kyle Rittenhouse, a 17-year-old from Illinois, fatally shot two men and wounded another in Kenosha, Wisconsin. The shootings occurred during the protests and riots that followed the shooting of a black man, Jacob Blake, by a white police officer. At the trial, the 17-year-old used the defence of self-defence and was acquitted on all charges. Rittenhouse and the three men he shot were white. Rittenhouse was armed with a semi-automatic rifle that he'd asked his friend, Dominic Black, to purchase for him. Black and Rittenhouse had joined a group of armed men in Kenosha who said they were there to protect businesses. The 17-year-old Rittenhouse said he was there to protect a car dealership from being vandalised and to provide medical aid. Well, he faced a string of charges of homicide, one count of attempted homicide, two counts of reckless endangerment, one count of unlawful possession of a firearm. All sorts of evidence was given that witnesses saw Rittenhouse being chased into a parking lot. One of the men killed, it was testified, had lunged at Rittenhouse, trying to take his rifle. Evidence was given that Rittenhouse, a 17-year-old, ran down the street while being pursued by a crowd of at least a dozen people. He tripped and fell to the ground. While on the ground, evidence was given that he was struck on the shoulder, neck and head with a skateboard by a man whom Rittenhouse shot. Now, admittedly, in all of this, public sentiment was polarised, as was the media. But this is where the crisis in Western political leadership emerges. 
all inspired, it seems, by the Democratic Party in America. It is almost incomprehensible that Democrats from President Biden down emphasised their dismay, if not rage, at the decision of 12 of Rittenhouse's peers who unanimously found him not guilty. Yet again, it was President Biden proving himself, as described by the Wall Street Journal, as a consummate moral weakling, having first declared his respect for the jury's verdict, but then pronouncing himself angry and concerned. So what have we got here? The leader of the free world, the President of the United States, in a politically motivated disregard for the rights of accused defendants. In fact, in a video montage of white supremacists, Biden actually included a picture of this young Kyle Rittenhouse. You will recall the case of George Floyd. The policeman Derek Chauvin was convicted of the murder of George Floyd. But prior to the jury deliberating, the president told the nation he was, quote, praying for the right verdict. Is this not heading towards the collapse of the world of justice that we have for so long prized? Here is the leader of the free world with a running commentary on the, quote, unquote, guilt of criminal defendants. And this commentary from the most powerful man on the planet, as the Wall Street Journal commented, if the language of the leader of the free world virtually challenges the presumption of innocence, due process, trial by jury, proof of guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, then we have a president playing into the hands of the radical and destructive left. And indeed, a Democratic congressman was demanding that Rittenhouse face further prosecution. So throw the principle of double jeopardy out the window. These issues are central to the notion of civil rights. So what do we have here? Lest people feel that to merely express concern is to be alarmist, this is identity politics at its worst. Biden seems to be leading the course, which says that real justice can't be delivered by a court, presided over by a judge, whose outcome is determined by a dispassionate jury, since the entire structure is itself the product of racism, oppression and discrimination. What the left wants is revolutionary justice, the legal system's verdict supplanted by the people's judgment. Again, the Wall Street Journal gets it right. I quote, No one who watched the critical phases of the Kenosha trial can honestly assert that the evidence proved the defendant's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Far from representing some malign flaw in the legal process, it showed the system working at its best, says the Wall Street Journal correctly. If the left's reaction to this case doesn't scare you, I'm afraid you don't know what it represents or how rapidly and how far the poison of this subversive and illiberal dogma has already spread through a political movement and ideology we once called liberal, unquote. And remember one thing, this is not unique to America. There are some Australians before the courts now. Check your memory. Will a jury decision be respected? Think of those who still want to argue the guilt of Cardinal Pell. I'm telling you, we are in messy territory. Well, consistent with what I've been saying, our nation is crying out for strong leadership, which demonstrates that such a leader knows what he stands for, is prepared to defend traditional Australian values and institutions and do it with compassion and conviction. Now, you heard Matt Canavan last night, outstanding. Your responses have been amazing. Well, the leader of the One Nation Party in the New South Wales Parliament is the former Labor leader, Mark Latham. Once upon a time, people crossed the street to avoid talking to Mark Latham. Now they cross the street to congratulate him. We will talk to him regularly on this program. He is common sense and scholarship personified. And he joins us tonight. Mark, thank you for your time. Uh, let's get right down to the guts of it. Is it unfashionable 
to talk about vaccination mandates. But the Prime Minister has said that vaccination is not mandatory, yet people are losing their jobs. I understand that someone has mandated that all nurses be jabbed. My understanding is that if this doesn't happen by December 17, which is, what, a couple of days away, roughly 10,000 nurses across Australia could be out of work. What do you know about any of this, Mark? Well, Alan, it's more than nurses. It's teachers, fireys, police officers, public servants in New South Wales. And, you know, shamefully, the Labor Party in August, um, their leader, Chris Minns, had a press conference with the former Turnbull Minister, Craig Laundy, the pubs baron, and Labor's policy was unvaccinated, sack them all. So it's right across the major political parties. And here in New South Wales, um, tomorrow, on Wednesday, uh, they're taking off the vaccine passports, meaning that unvaccinated People can uh, go to restaurants, uh, pubs, cafes and the like. And I think that's very welcome. It's overdue. It was supposed to happen at 80% uh, double-dose vaccination under the Doherty Report recommendations. New South Wales now at 93% vaccination rate. So uh, after everything we've been through, to unify society is very important. And we shouldn't have a segregated society on the basis of medical status. But moving the other way in New South Wales, I think this is an insidious development. New South Wales Health is advising departments like um, planning, industry and environment, and also the customer service department in New South Wales is to sack all of your unvaccinated staff. Now, the contradiction is manifest in that how can it be safe for the vaccinated and the unvaccinated sit next to each other at a cafe at lunchtime, but when they go back to their workplace, apparently we're being told it's unsafe for the vaccinated to be in the same office as the unvaccinated working at customer service New South Wales or in the uh, planning industry and environment department and other government agencies. So Dominic Perrottet has got to sort out this contradiction. Some of the public servants say they're being sacked because they're not the sort of people politically that the elites, the woke elites who run these departments particularly like. So there's a huge contradiction in New South Wales now and people are losing their jobs. Shouldn't the objective of employment policy be to say you wouldn't get rid of anyone in New South Wales, uh, least of all on health status, only as a last resort. We're coming out of the economic um, uh, recession and troubles of the COVID period. Don't we want people in jobs serving the people of New South Wales and get past this Absolutely. artificial Mark, segregation but, of people? But, Mark, isn't there a wider issue here? What are the privacy entitlements of an employer asking a worker their medical status? Well, we're told under Commonwealth privacy laws it's wrong for an employer to store the medical status. I've, I've heard the most horrendous stories in New South Wales, Alan, in a local health district where the vaccination status of all the staff was circulated to everyone else uh, in, in, in that uh, health district. And I, I got to see it because it was sent to me as part of a protest. I've raised this in Parliament. I got to find out one of the medical exemptions, a chronic illness of one of the New South Wales health staff on this list of the vaccination status of all the staff. I, I know of a nurse who's been sacked by uh, New South Wales Health who had her vaccination status sent to her uh, a trade union she didn't belong to. And they wrote to her to say, why are you an anti-vax? She said, I'm not an anti-vax, I'm trying to get a medical exemption. And she's now received a payout from New South Wales Health because of the privacy breach. One of the problems, Alan, in the stampede of hysteria about COVID, which you've yep. obviously identified, yes. there's also been a stampede of hysteria about vaccination status that's meant that privacy, human rights, but, labour rights yes. have gone out the window but the national government, and people have been trampled on. But the national government runs away from all this and says it's not mandatory, so leave it to someone else. 
to no, end well, that's Scott Morrison. That's Scott Morrison lying. Yeah. Scott Morrison has said that, that vaccination in Australia shouldn't be subject of, of, of coercion. It's, it's, it's a personal yeah. choice in consultation with your doctor. That's the tradition we've always had. How did New South Wales get the vaccine passport information that's being abolished tomorrow? Scott Morrison shamefully passed on the vaccination status to Service New South Wales, Minister Dominello, of, of everyone in New South Wales so they could sign up for those passports. So Scott Morrison, I'm sorry, whether people like him or not on this issue, he's walked both sides of the street, he's spoken out of both sides of his mouth and he can't be trusted. Do you have a number? Now, I'm, I'm talking to people in Queensland, actually, where thousands of nurses are going to be sacked come December 17. Do you have any number on how many people across the country are being sacked for this reason, because they're not well, vaccinated? I, yeah. yeah, well, I, I know because of these mandates in New South Wales, we're losing thousands of teachers. I mean, we've what? got a chronic teacher shortage in New South Wales. Now is the worst possible time. So they're being sacked. They're, they're, they're going out the door. They're under investigation. And what's more, the Education Department in New South Wales has hired private investigators to check is the vaccination status of these teachers and support staff valid. So they're spending money on private investigators to get rid of teachers in New South Wales. We've got a teacher shortage. Now, why wouldn't you go down the pathway of rapid antigen testing, which yes, is common overseas, absolutely. where you pass your test, you, you go to teach that That's day it. in a COVID-free environment, give the, the students and their parents yep. a guarantee you're COVID-free. Isn't that a lot better than sacking people? Absolutely. How many doctors have been deregistered for prescribing medicines in relation to coronavirus or providing exemptions from vaccination? Well, I, I don't know the data on that, but I have heard of, of doctors who fear deregistration if they issue medical exemptions. Now, uh, there has been a campaign to demonise people as anti-vaxxers. I've spoken to a lot of these people. They've contacted my office, Alan. They're pregnant women. They're people who, migrants who've come from overseas and fear government authority. That's what they were trying to escape. A lot of them are health fanatics, people who've had no drain on the health system whatsoever. And their uh, ethos in life is not to have any foreign substances in their system. And they're getting the sack as well. So I've this got to say, uh, you talk oh. to these people, oh. I've heard their stories. Yep. They're not bad people. No. The demonisation of them has been a disgrace. It's called medical apartheid. Now, listen, something else. You're advocating the end of the dole, the unemployment benefit on March 1 next year. How can there be, Mark Latham, labour shortages everywhere, when I mean everywhere, hospitality, agriculture, general duties, when almost a million Australians are receiving job seeker and youth allowance payments? Actually, it's 988,391 to be precise, but across almost every sector of the economy, employers can't find the appropriate workers. How can it be? Well, it's incredible, Alan. I sat in the federal parliament in, in the last days of the Labor government in 1994 when they introduced a uh, policy to make young Australians job ready. And since then, our government's federal and state have spent billions of dollars on vocational training to make these young people job ready. Where are they when they're needed now? We have a one-off opportunity coming out of the COVID period in the economic recovery to make sure young Australians in particular pick up these jobs in the agricultural harvest, in, in hospitality, in the trades, in the construction industry. And it's a disgrace. But Mark, Mark, it's not Australian. It's un-Australian for a million Australians to have their hand in someone else's pocket getting paid for doing nothing. Well, of course, and, and, and that's very true. And what it means is that we've got a one-off opportunity to end unemployment in Australia. And, and quite frankly, if you're saying you can't find a job right now, you're not fair income. You're not actually looking. Good on so you. why doesn't Scott Morrison announce the end of the dole on the 1st of March next year and say to these people, hundreds of thousands of them, the jobs are available... 
You need to get out there and find them because government can't carry you through welfare dependency through the rest of your life. Fantastic. And are we breeding a young generation of, of, of dull and welfare bludgers who aren't going to work? Now, that would be a national shame, especially when we fill the gap by bringing in overseas That's workers. Right. Big migration numbers when yep. young Australians we've invested in should be out there off their backside finding these jobs. Outstanding. Now, let me say to our viewers, here's Mark Latham at his best. Mark Latham's talking about a looming cabinet reshuffle in New South Wales. But under the New South Wales Constitution Act, it is not a constitutional requirement to appoint ministers who are members of parliament. So Mark Latham is saying that ministers could come from outside the parliament which would allow the executive government to draw on expertise and experience from the broader community. So Dominic Perrottet could offer, Mark says, the Treasury portfolio to Peter Costello. Education to Australia's pre-eminent schools expert John Hattie. Solve the woman problem, make the talented Katie Page the Minister for Industry and Racing, Margaret Keneen, the Attorney-General. And Mark, you make the point that this was first advocated by Bob Hawke in the 1979 Boyer Lectures, where Hawke lamented the limited talent pool on which cabinets are traditionally based, and he recommended that special ministers attend parliamentary question time and committee hearings guaranteeing accountability. You say in New South Wales, but it's true everywhere, government, you made the point, and opposition, struggle to bat down to number four. And you make the point that when ministers have limited knowledge of their portfolio, they become risk-averse and timid. They're worried about social media. How much interest will be shown in that proposal that you are making? Well, it would upset the seat warmers and time servers inside the major parties, in this case the Liberal and National parties, as Perrottet does his reshuffle. But, Alan, the reality is, where have all the experts gone in modern politics? You know, when I got into the Federal Parliament, you could look around and think, oh, well, there's dozens of people here who've specialised in various areas of public policy. You don't see them today. And you sometimes, particularly in chronic areas of failure, like the New South Wales transport system, you've got to bring experts in. I recommended Tony Shepherd to come in from outside the parliament to provide the expertise needed to be a problem solver. And Dominic Perrottet, when he does his, his reshuffle, and it's the same story in, in, in Canberra and both sides of politics, Perrottet's only got 62 people in their party room to fill 24 positions. So you've got a one in two or one in three chance of becoming a minister. Amazing. And clearly a lot of them aren't up to it. Brilliant. So you should Brilliant. look outside the the, the, Absolutely. the Which they do in America. Which they do, in, they America. do in America. Absolutely. And even if it's on a short term where you say to a Tony Shepherd, yeah. you've got 18 months to fix all these transport problems. That's better than some pie thrower they're going to put in as well. We know much for much, you know? That's, that's the reality. Oh, this is Latham at his very best. Outstanding. We've got to go. We could talk to you all. We've got to talk to you all night. We'll talk to you next week, Mark. Great to okay. talk to you. Isn't that, that very interesting, isn't it? Wouldn't that improve the level of government? Put people into portfolios who actually know something about it. We'll be back after the break. Now, look, simple question before we go tonight. Is there a person in the world seriously more irrelevant and toxic than Meghan Markle? Prior to that Glasgow conference where rich people praised other rich people and ignored the dictates that they dished out to the not-so-rich, the insufferable Prince Harry and Meghan Markle gave us all a lecture on carbon. I think they meant carbon dioxide, but why would they know the difference? But their charitable foundation, so they said, would be net zero by 2030. Are these the same two who stayed at the Google Climate Summit in 2019 on a gas-guzzling super-yacht of the kind that emits 7,020 tonnes of carbon dioxide per year, 19 tonnes a day? Are their utterances characterised by hypocrisy 
Or does dishonesty enter the equation? You see, Meghan Markle tried to highlight her humble roots by arguing for paid parental leave and said in an October letter to US politicians, now listen, how pretentious is this woman, a B-grade actress willing writing to politicians? Anyway, she said that she, quote, who has grew up on the $4.99 salad bar at Sizzler Family Restaurants. Well, the father, Thomas Markle, in an interview called Prince Harry a Kandya, C-A-N-D-Y-A, which means a timid or cowardly person, for quitting as a senior royal. And then he blasted the daughter's claims that she grew up on a budget salad bar. The father said she's never, ever had to worry about anything like that in her life. He said, we'd do the best restaurants in town and we'd do Sizzler because it was convenient. We never had to rub our pennies together and just have the salad bar. She had the salad bar, but she had a meal as well, unquote. This is a daughter who hasn't spoken to a father since before her wedding in May 2018. Thomas Markle is at least good for a laugh. He said, and I quote, Harry walked away from his responsibilities and that's ridiculous. He walked away from his grandmother, the royals and the British people. He's a canja. I'll take him on at my age any time and he'd run away from me, unquote. I don't know about Harry running away from the 77-year-old Thomas Markle, but quite frankly, the public at the sight of Meghan Markle I don't think could run away fast enough. Perhaps Meghan Markle should start with a little self-examination. And remember the old axiom, my thought for the night. A human being is not a human being, while his tendencies include self-indulgence, covetousness, temper and attacking other people. Unquote. I think the world just wishes Meghan Markle would go away, which we won't be doing, I've got to tell you, because that's it for tonight. You can see tonight's program on the podcast tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock and Alan Jones comments at 7am tomorrow morning. And we'll be back to do it all again tomorrow night. Thank you for being with us and good night.